0: Hello, welcome to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start off with Raw. Raw will open up with a Miz TV segment with his special guest, Paul Heyman. Miz will talk to Paul about the money in the bank and how that briefcase turns regular superstars into mega superstars like it did for him. And Miz mentioned how someone could cash in the Money in the Bank contract and win the Universal Heavyweight Championship. And Miz talks about how somebody could possibly cash in on Roman Reigns. Paul will tell Miz that that's not going to happen because nobody will try it. And if they do try it, they will lose. Paul then will then change the topic into... Riddle's upcoming match with Roman on SmackDown for the Undisputed Heavyweight Championship. Paul mentions that he tried to talk to people in charge to add a stipulation to that matchup to make it more interesting. Then you would get Riddle's music hit, which they remixed his music. I don't understand why they did. It sucks now. But um, Riddle will come down to the ring, and Riddle mentions that he wanted to hear from No Horse's butt as he looks at Paul. And he's talking about hearing the stipulation that Paul wanted to add to uh, Riddle's match with Roman on SmackDown. Miz starts yelling at Riddle, asking him who does he think he is. He should be showing some respect to the Miz and Paul Heyman, but Paul has to tell Miz and Riddle, okay, we can settle it down here. Paul's trying to keep the peace between the two, and Paul tells Riddle point blank, listen, I respect you, but you will not beat Roman Reigns on SmackDown. Paul will end up telling Riddle that It will be do or die for him on SmackDown. That if he beats Roman, he will be the new undisputed champion. But if he doesn't, he will never get a chance at the championship for as long as Roman is the champion. Meaning, Riddle has one shot. If he doesn't beat Roman this SmackDown, he will no longer be able to get an undisputed universal championship opportunity as long as Roman is the champion. So, Riddle has to think about that and try to figure out how he's going to beat Roman if he's going to beat Roman on SmackDown, then Paul would tell Riddle that that's on SmackDown. But tonight, you have to survive the Usos. So the Usos will come down. They will surround the ring. Riddle has to worry about the Usos surrounding the ring and also the possible threat of Miz being in the ring right there. But then the Street Profits music would hit, and they would come out to back Riddle. So now we would get our first match of the night, which is a one-on-ones competition. Montez Ford, who has Angela Dawkins in his corner going against Jimmy Uso, who had Jay Uso in his corner. Jimmy would win the match by pinfall. When Jimmy was on the top turnbuckle, Montez Ford would run over to him and jump up and hit a hurricanrana on Jimmy to get him off the top turnbuckle. Montez would get on the top turnbuckle, jump off, looking to hit a frost splash, but Jimmy would get his knees up, Montez would hit Jimmy's knees, and then Jimmy would roll up Montez for the win. Solid match to start off Monday Night Raw. Then after this match, we would get a Seth Rollins backstage interview. And the m- whole thing about this backstage interview is basically trying to see if Seth Rollins has any uh, remorse for what he did to Cody Rhodes last week. And Seth will have this to say on the matter. Remorse? Cody Rhodes is a virus. He's a virus and he's been plaguing WWE since WrestleMania. And sometimes in life, you have to make hard decisions you have to make unpopular decisions and when nobody's on your side you have to take matters in your own hands now when Seth says you have to take matters into your own hands he would lift up a sledgehammer when he says this so that would show you the tool of his destruction that he used against Cody last week and it seems to me that we're playing on the whole Seth Rollins is Triple H's protege I can see that I think that's where we're headed down in this uh story of Cody and Seth, because if people know the backstory of this, is that Cody has said that Triple H is his favorite wrestler, even though Cody has sent subliminal shots to Triple H in the past with AEW reference, his first uh, pay-per-view on AEW with Double or Nothing 2019 destroying the throne. If you knew what that meant, it's basically uh, destroying the whole idea that Triple H now does no longer control Cody's uh, career, and Cody's now the man who's going to be controlling his own career. That's what happened in AEW, but now since Cody's back and he is now going against Triple H's golden boy, because Triple H did pick Seth Rollins out of the whole shield and uh, Seth was the guy to crack the shield and break it up. You can see where we're leading down this story when Cody does come back, uh, possibly even have Triple H to even add himself into it just for a little uh, segments here and there. That's what I think we're leading into into the future. Anyway, Rawls would then switch off that topic and mention now he is going to be entering the Money in the Bank matchup and he talks about how he wants to top his infamous cash-in that he did at WrestleMania in 2015. He knows he has to beat AJ Styles tonight and he mentions that if AJ wants to get in his way, he might end up just like Cody. Seth would do his maniacal laugh but then AJ would rush in and hit Seth right in the face, knocking him out of his chair. AJ would tell Seth that was for Cody, then leave the room. So that gives people uh more momentum and more uh, ammunition to want to see Seth versus AJ later in the night. After this, we have our 24-7 matchup of Dana Brooke going against Becky Lynch. Dana Brooke is the champion. This match wouldn't happen because Becky would attack Dana before the match would be even ring off. Becky would forearm Dana in the face, then proceed to stomp her out. Becky would then throw Dana broke out of the ring, then throw her into the barricades. Uh, Becky would pick up Dana, then bounce Dana's head off the commentary table, then she would ask for a mic. Becky would tell Dana that she could keep her 24-7 championship because this was never about that. It was about people disrespecting her. Becky would talk about the money in the bank. A contract in the Money in the Bank match and mentioned that the last time she was in that match, she got robbed, but not this time. She mentioned this time will be different, but right now, she has more anger to get out. So, she drops the mic. She grabs Dana Brooke to try to do more damage, but then you hear Asuka music hit. Asuka comes out. Becky would run over to Asuka and then you would see them fight on the outside of the ring, then on the inside of the ring. Asuka would get better of the exchange, leading to Becky to retreat up the ramp. Alexa's music would hit, and then Alexa Bliss would walk down the ramp, and now she's getting ready to have her tag match up. But before that happens, you see Becky yelling at Alexa, reminding her that she was the one that robbed Becky of the Money in the Bank uh, contract in 20, mm, 2018, because they show video flashbacks of that Money in the Bank contract, because Becky was up there, she almost had it, but then Alexa came and uh, tipped the ladder off, Tip the ladder over and make making uh, Becky fall off the thing off the ladder. And then you see Alexa climb up, and grab the briefcase. So they have history in that. And Becky yells at Alexa saying, I hope you win this because this will be the last win you will get. So it was also announced that Oscar will be going against Becky Lynch next week for a money in the bank qualifying matchup on raw. Now it's time for the tag team matchup. This is a money in the bank qualifying matchup. Alexa Bliss and Liv Morgan going against Dewdrop and Nikki A.S.H. Alexa and Liv would win the match by pinfall when Nikki looked at Dewdrop, as Dewdrop and Liv were on the outside of the ring. And then once Nikki turned her attention back to Alexa in the ring and grabbed her, Alexa would deck Nikki right in the face with the right hand, then drop her with a DDT cover her for the pin. So right now in the Money in the Bank Women's call, Women's uh, Money in the Bank, you have Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, and right now Lacey Evans. That was the field. After this match, we have Kevin Owens going against Ezekiel. This is their Hell in a Cell rematch. Ezekiel would win this match by countout when Kevin Owens was posted up on the ring post. And Ezekiel would run over to Kevin Owens trying to hit him with a splash. But Kevin Owens would move out of the way. And Ezekiel would hit the ring post. Kevin Owens would throw Ezekiel into the ring. And he would hear the commentary team call Ezekiel by Ezekiel. And Kevin Owens starts flipping out because this whole thing that Kevin Owens is trying to let people know that Ezekiel is not Ezekiel. He's actually Elias. So what Kevin Owens does is that he gets on the announce table and starts flipping over the top, kicking their papers and just starts yelling at them. And he doesn't notice that the referees counting him out. And once the referee gets to 10 and he hears the bell rings, Kevin Owens starts realizing what just happened and he can't believe it and he starts walking away. So Ezekiel does win the match by count out. Ezekiel will get a microphone And he mentions that he isn't done with Kevin Owens, but right now he has to switch his attention over to the Money in the Bank contract because he wants to be in that matchup. He also mentions that he talked to his brother Elias and that Elias will be here on Monday night next week. And he does warn everybody that Elias has age, but he does look good. So we're going to get a double ganger of Elias next week. Because if you look at Ezekiel, you know that he's really Elias. So we're going to get somebody playing the role of Elias next week on Raw. And this sends Kevin into an uproar. And you just start hearing him yell that you that's he's lying. Ezekiel is, is Elias. So we're going to see the more of the downward spiral of Kevin Owens mentally as we go into Raw next week. After this, we have MVP with Omos in his corner going against Cedric Alexander. MVP would win the match by pinfall when MVP will hit the play of the day, or better known as the overdrive, for the win. After the match, MVP will tell Omas to throw Cedric out of the ring, which Omos does. MVP would, however, mention before the match did begin that Omos will be in the Money in the Bank and he will become the Nigerian Money in the Bank winner. Omos being in the Money in the Bank ladder match will be... Uh, very very interesting. It ain't like we haven't had giants like the Big Show, Kane, being a money in the bank, but Omos is taller than them, and it's gonna be interesting to see if they bring back that big thick old ladder for him to climb up and that can get like good two guys just on one side of the ladder climbing up just by itself. So you can enjoy so you can potentially have four guys climbing up this big gigantic ladder. So that's gonna be entertaining right there. Now it's time for the Money to the Bank qualifying matchup of Seth Rollins going against AJ. They had a good wrestling match, but Seth would win the match by pinfall when AJ was looking to hit the Styles Clash. But Rollins would flip AJ over, grab his legs, drop down, and pin him, and then get the win. So Rollins is now in the Men's Money to the Bank uh, qualifying matchup, and he's the first man in the Men's Money to the Bank uh, ladder match. After this, we will have Riddle going against Ciampa. The Miz was on commentary for this matchup. Riddle will win the match by pinfall when Riddle will hit the ripcord knee. It's basically the rainmaker from Okada if you watch New Japan. But if you haven't, it's basically him uh, behind his opponent. He grabs his opponent's arms, turns him around, he hits him with a knee to the face. Then he goes to the top rope, hit a floating bro, and then he hits Ciampa with RKO for the win. The funny thing for me is that they never give champa microphone to understand why he's attacking people from behind they never gave him a microphone to uh explain why he attacked mustafa ali from behind they never gave him a microphone or time on the mic to explain why he attacked riddle from behind we haven't gotten champa to really talk since he's gotten on the main roster uh so i don't know what we're doing with champa champa was a nice uh He's still a good wrestler, but he is a great character when you give him the opportunity to actually speak on the microphone. So when that happens, I will be grateful for the WWE to allow Champa to get on the mic and allow him to express himself. After this, we have Bianca Belair have an in-ring uh, interview. She's asked about facing Rhea Ripley at Money in the Bank. Bianca would mention that her and Rhea have always been in competition with each other, but it's been friendly competition. She talks about their days in NXT, then jumping up to the main roster, then them being the last two in the Royal Rumble last year, which Bianca won. Then talking about them winning championship gold last year at Mania, where Rhea Ripley beat Asuka for the Raw Women's Championship, while Bianca beat Sasha uh, for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca does mention that she doesn't know who this version of Rhea Ripley is ever since she's joined the Judgment Day. She's been acting different. But nevertheless, Bianca does mention that she is going to retain her championship at Money in the Bank. You would then hear Rhea's voice hit the airwave and then we would see Rhea in the rest of Judgment Day pop up on the screen. They mentioned the reason why they took care of Edge last week was because Edge went against his own mission statement. He talked about how Edge... At the beginning, it was all about being yourself and not taking orders from anyone, but he had them following orders, so that's the reason why they kicked him out of his own group. They also noted that they are all equals, and there's no leader, so Rhea, Finn, and Damian Priest are all equals, which, obviously, I don't see how that's going to work if they're all equals. The only people that were actually able to pull that one off was the S.H.I.E.L.D., but even then, you kind of subtly, in the subtext, you kind of saw that the middle man, the Head honcho, was in a way uh technically John Moxley, Dean Ambrose, because he did all the talking while S- uh, Seth and Roman were basically the Russell guys, as well as Dean, but who majority Russell majority of the time? Uh Seth Rollins and Roman. But I'll get back to point here. Uh Rhea would tell Bianca that she is now on a different level and that she doesn't care what these people think of her and what they say about her. And That specifically will be Bianca's downfall because Bianca does care about what people think about her and what they say about her, and that will lead to Bianca's downfall, and that will lead to Rhea being a two-time Raw Women's Champion at Money in the Bank, so that's the in-ring interview right there. I'm surprised that we got uh, Judgment Day on this Raw because the way that whole episode was going. It looked like we weren't going to get Judgment Day, but then whenever this happened and we saw Judgment Day, I was like, oh, okay. And also, by the way, they still kept Edge's uh, entrance music, the other side. So I want to see how, if they're going to just try to find a different song or they're just constantly just going to use that. After this, we have Chad Gable with Otis going against Mustafa Ali. Chad Gable would win the match by pinfall. When Ali would hit the Tornado DDT, then he would go up to the top turnbuckle. Otis will grab Chad Gable by the arms, trying to drag him out of the ring. Ali would drop down from the turnbuckle, kick Otis in the arms. This will follow up with Gable getting up, grabbing Mustafa Ali, and hitting the American Automatic, which is basically the Chaos Theory. It's a rolling uh German suplex for the win. After this, we have Dominic uh, being the managers for his father, Rey Mysterio, as Rey went against Veer Mahan. Veer will win the match by submission when Veer will lock in the clavicle clutch on Ray and Ray will tap out. No more to be said for this. I hope this rivalry ends soon. Main event time and it's not a main event match. Oh no, it's a pose down between Bobby Lashley and Theory. They will do their pose down. Theory being the cocky young, uh, up and coming guy, the youngest uh, United States champion. He does his poses. He does his frontward pose, side pose, and then his uh. The big old flex, the show off your shoulders, and he thinks that he won it in the bag off top. But then Bobby Lashley gets up there and he does his poses, the side pose, the bicep pose, and the uh shoulder poses, and the fans chanted for Lashley. Lashley is up winning this. Uh Theory would tell Lashley that there's one more pose that you need to do if you want to get a shot at me for the United States Championship. And you would see Theory decide to splash Bobby Lashley in the face with baby oil. And then he would constantly do this, and then he would drop Kick Lashley in the head. Lashley would roll out of the ring. Theory would get on the podium, and then he would grab his phone and start taking selfies. I disliked this pose-down situation. I get it. Theory's supposed to be this cocky, young, arrogant bad guy here, and... We're all we are just building up to Bobby going against Steyr for the United States Championship. Yada yada yada. I get it, but you guys could have did it a different way. This pose down deal, it was uh, not needed, especially to close out Monday Night Raw. You could have had the Bianca Belair with Judgment Day close out Raw. In my personal opinion, if we were going to do that, this pose down it shouldn't it wasn't needed to close out Monday Night Raw. Uh, but that was your Raw wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to NXT, a couple things to highlight to you before I read you off the NXT uh, results here. This week's episode and next week's episode of NXT were taped last week, and the reason why I'm exposing this out to you guys now is because Troy Donovan, or better known as Two Stacks, of the Tony D'Angelo family has been released from WWE due to a policy issue. Now... What policy issue did he break? I have no idea. This was first uh, reported by Dave Meltzer on Sunday night. Meltzer has said that WWE told Donovan that he might be brought back within a year. So we could see Donovan back within a year. It's really, really disheartening because they were just getting along with the whole Tony D'Angelo storyline, Tony D'Angelo being the boss of NXT and all that type of stuff. And it's real, real disheartening because, uh, next week episode on NXT you're gonna see Tony D'Angelo going against Carmelo Hayes for the NXT uh, North American Championship. You know he's not gonna win. And this past uh weekend on a NXT house show, since this is their first time back doing house shows, live events type of stuff around the Florida area, it was reported that Tony D'Angelo did. Uh, take a spill and he was injured we don't know the uh injury report we don't know what he got injured with but it was reported that he was injured so with tony D'Angelo being injured and uh, troy donovan two stacks being released it looks like a bad timing for you wwe just to even release this guy with wwe's whole simple thing with their policy issues if for you guys that don't know and I don't know who does know, but for the people that do know, WWE has a policy issue. And the policy issue was, if you happen to break their policy, whether it be you uh, get with uh, performance enhancement drugs or recreational drugs, the stuff of that magnitude, you usually get suspended for about a good 30 days. Roman Reigns got suspended because he got popped for something in 2016. Samoa Joe got popped for something in I believe what 2021 no 2020 Samoa Joe uh there's been past people like uh, Ricardo Rodriguez who got popped for something and, and Ricardo Rodriguez was um Alberto Del Rio's uh, ring announcer Rey Mysterio even got popped for something Randy Orton has been popped for some stuff and that the policy usually was be you'll be out for 30 days you'll have to be suspended, you'll be sitting home for 30 days. I don't know why WWE decided to fire this guy. What WWE should do is that they need to rehire him, say, hey yo, we jumped the gun on there, we're still gonna have you on here, and all that type of stuff, but you're just gonna have to be suspended for 30 days, and to get yourself cleaned up, whatever crap you had in your body, in your system. Firing him does not seem like the right thing. Um, WWE has not released a statement saying that they did fire him, but Troy Donovan did write on Twitter and he did say that uh he was released and he did say that this is just simply a simple bump in the road and he'll be back. So again, this is real weird because on this episode of NXT, he is on here. In next week's episode of NXT, he'll be there. But then the weeks after that, that has not been recorded, he will not be on there because he has not. Uh, he's been released. Again, I feel that WWE needs to call him back up, say, hey, we want you back. You just got to be suspended for 30 days. You'll still be in NXT, but we're letting you get yourself cleaned up or whatever crap you took in your system, get it out of your way. But um, I hope WWE does get this kid back because it's real weird and it's just a bad setting tone for the policy. They still need to, they need to stick with the 30-day suspension deal. That is my personal opinion on it. But now, with that out of the way, let me get you uh, to what happened on NXT uh, this episode. First match of the night was the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup of the Creed Brothers defending their championships against Idris Anafe and Malik Blade. The Creeds would win the match by pinfall when the Creeds hit their tag finish, which is a double leg uh, slam, followed by a sliding clothesline. And they did this to Malik Blade for the win. After the match, the Creeds would... Uh, shake hands with Idris and Malik and they had a solid tag match to be honest with you I was expecting like a good what 7-8 minute matchup because the Creed's just won the tag titles and they gave Idris and Malik Blade a lot in the matchup I didn't expect them to give them as much uh offense as they did but they gave them that and but the Creed's would still win it still was a good matchup I just didn't expect them to give uh Idris and Malik that much offense in the match. After this, we had Tiffany Stratton going against uh, Fallon Henley, who had Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen in her corner. Fallon would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Wendy Chu. When Tiffany would hit Fallon with a Samoan drop and looking to go to the corner, she would get distracted by Wendy Chu, who came down to the ring bouncing on a ball. Tiffany would yell at Wendy, and Wendy would then throw a cup that had confetti in it at Tiffany. The confetti would now be in the ring and it would land on Tiffany. Tiffany wouldn't pay Wendy no more mind after this. She would turn her attention back to Fallon. Fallon would grab Tiffany and hook her in a inside cradle pin and then pin her for the win. Uh, Solid match between the two. I liked how the match was going because at one point early in the matchup they were trading shots and then Fallon slapped Tiffany across the chest and they made a loud sound and even the fans and the commentary team uh, reacted off of that But Tiffany is one of the women that I would like for people to look out in the future for NXT's women's division because she is progressing faster and faster, and I like the way that uh, Tiffany's progressing. After this, we will have Wesley going against Zion Quinn. This is a rematch from, I believe, two weeks ago. Wes would win the match by pinfall when Wes would go up to the top turnbuckle and hit Zion with a spiral tap, which is a spinning senton. On Zion Quinn for the win. Solid match between both of them. Wesley just... uh, I hope that they get away from this rivalry. And Wesley goes on to something bigger and better. Because Wesley is a guy that could go over and go against Carmelo Hayes. And they can put on a couple banger matches. And he could probably be the next guy to take the North American title off of Carmelo Hayes. If that's what we want to go with this. After this, we will have the debut matchup of Joe Gacy's two bodyguards. The Dyad... Going against uh, Dante Chen and Xavier uh, Burnell, uh, the dyad would win the match by pinfall when they hit uh, Burnell or Bernal with a elevated DDT for the win. The dyad were covered head to toe in a um, in a hood, but it was like a satin red uh, burgundy style. That they covered their face, but they still were able to move their arms and their legs. You just couldn't see their face, so we were trying to figure out how they were able to see in the ring, but they were able to. They were still beat up on uh, Chin and Xavier. It's just real different because we thought that they were going to take their hoods off and even the commentary, not commentary, but the crowd was chanting, take your hood off, take your hood off. We were trying to see their face, but we didn't get to see their face. Hopefully, we'll see who's underneath the hoods Somewhere down the line. After the match, Joe Gacy would get in the ring and say the dyad has taken the next steps in their progression. Gacy mentions how NXT and this place in particular is full of toxicity and the crowd behavior is the reason these men flock to somebody like Gacy. They are supposed to feel superior because they are superior, but the NXT audience, the crowd, the locker room doesn't make them feel this way and he talks about that there are more people in the back that will join him and together they will make NXT a better environment for everyone. So Gacy is still on his whole making NXT a better place for everybody. Uh I would like to see who's going to join Gacy because Gacy's group does have a potential to be a bigger group and I like the whole big group uh situations whenever it comes down to stumps, when it comes down to stuff because you can never ever have too many groups. Just look at AEW, they got a lot of groups and a lot of groups with a lot of people. And sometimes they do good, sometimes they don't. And they see the only people they got in the groups right now is technically Tony D'Angelo's group. That's about it. And uh speaking of Tony D'Angelo's group, here's Tony D'Angelo coming out with uh his boys two dimes and stacks, and you see them come out with Legato del Fantasmo, who again legato is under the leadership now of tony because they lost at in your house tony would reminisce about meeting two dives and stacks when they were younger and he talks about how since they have been in nxt two dives and stacks have stepped up for the family and he plays back the video of them beating legato at in your house and how they stepped up for tony and that moment Tony decides that he's promoting Two Dimes and Stacks and that they are no longer associates of the family. They're now soldiers of the family. He gives them envelopes, which in the mafia, you would presume they have cash in it. Tony would then call for Santos to come here. Santos will walk over to Tony, but along the side of Santos would be uh, Cruz and Joaquin Wild. But Tony would tell Cruz and Joaquin that they need to listen to him, not Santos. Tony would give Legato a speech saying that since they are now a part of his crew, they have to take an oath, an oath to never snitch, and the an oath to always keep your mouth shut. Tony would then extend his hand out for each member of Legato to shake. They would look at Tony's hand and they would just stare at it before they eventually end up shaking it. Once he got to Santos, Santos took off his sunglasses and he gave Tony a look that would kill a man. I mean, he was just staring daggers into his eyes, but he reluctantly still shook Tony's hand. Tony would mention that now, since Legato is underneath his leadership, Tony has the greatest family, and he is the don of NXT, but that's just a title. He wants a separate title. He wants to have the title of the A Championship, and once you mention the A Championship, you know Carmelo Hayes has to come out, followed by Trick Williams. Melo tells tony that he doesn't want a problem with carmelo nor he doesn't want to have that north american championship that's his championship and in a nutshell tony will throw out a challenge for to face carmelo hayes next week for the championship and tonight carmelo and trick will be facing stacks in two dimes so we will get that match later on tonight after this we will have nxt championship matchup a baker going against duke hudson the reason why we get this matchup is because earlier in the night in the backstage, we see Cameron Grimes all down and out. He's walking around. People would tell Cameron Grimes, hey, man, you had a good match against Carmelo at in your house. None to be ashamed of. Uh, Grimes would tell him, listen, I appreciate that, but I'm not here for, the, for none of that right now. Braun will walk up to Car- uh, Cameron, tell him the same exact message. Uh, Cameron will give Braun the exact same message and walk away from him. Duke would walk up to Braun, tell him, hey, yo, I beat you a couple weeks ago, so you shouldn't be giving nobody. So any type of advice, Braun would tell him, listen, you can't hang your hat on a DQ victory, so why don't we, why don't we run it back? And before you can say anything, it'll be for the NXT Championship. So that's the reason why we have this matchup of Braun versus Duke for the NXT Championship here. Braun would win this match in quick fashion because Duke would attack Braun from behind, but Braun being the Mack truck that he is, he would quickly take advantage of Duke quickly. He went up spine bustering Duke, hit Duke with a spear, then get him up for the gorilla press power slam for the win, one and done. After the match, Braun celebrating with his NXT championship and then Cameron Grimes' music would hit. Cameron Grimes would come down to the ring and tell Braun that he wanted to finish that conversation that they had in the back. Braun would be there waiting for Cameron Grimes and Cameron would get on the microphone, get him... Bronze face and tell him this. You see, every single one of these people in here know that if you didn't have that last name, you wouldn't have that championship. But I mean, it's, that's what happens right here in this business. I mean, your daddy was a legend. Everyone knows who your dad is, and no one knew who mine was. You get everything because of your dad. Your dad even got to sit right there and watch you win that championship. My dad had to look down at his boy winning a championship. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, who is Cameron Grimes' dad? For Cameron Grimes to be going so hard about how he is saying how people should know who his father is. Well, Cameron Grimes' father was uh, Tracy Chadell. He was friends with the Arties. As a matter of fact, Matt Hardy did uh, say in one of the Sun articles... You can also look this up on the newspaper, The U.S. Sun. Uh, He mentioned how Tracy was one of the people that helped Matt uh, start a wrestling organization, uh, East Coast Wrestling Federation, the ECWF, in 1992, which ultimately transformed into Omega Championship Wrestling. That's basically a North uh, Carolina-based wrestling uh, company, independent wrestling company that was around in the... Early 2010s in the reboot uh, situation that helped spark the career of Trevor Lee and helped uh, with other people's career. Andrew Everick, Cedric Alexander, Caprice Coleman, another a lot of other people as well. But uh, Tracy was known in the Carolina areas, and that's where he helped his son Trevor Lee get into the business, better known as Cameron Grimes now in WWE get into the business, the wrestling business. And Trevor Lee was around the Hardy, so his father has some uh, legend in the Carolinas. So that's what you guys know about. Cameron Grimes is basically upset that he wants to become the uh, NXT champion. He doesn't like that Braun constantly gets the uh, praise for being Rick Steiner's kid, even though Braun is good. He's just gotten, like, the train and the rocket pushed uh, on his back. So Cameron Grimes would make the challenge and throw it out to Braun Breaker for them to have a match at the Great American Bash for the NXT Championship. And Braun would accept. So we would get uh, Braun versus Cameron Grimes at the Great American Bash, which is on July 5th. So July 5th, we will be getting uh, Braun versus Cameron Grimes. After this, we will have the NXT debut of. Giovanni Vinci, or formerly known as Fabian Eigner of Imperium. This is him being uh, repackaged as a new character. A guy's this uh, Italian customary thing. He got the best suits. He drives Italian cars. He's Italian, which uh, Fabian Eigner is really Italian. He really is Italian. He comes from Italy. So this whole thing is going to fit well for him. And uh, he went against uh, Guru Raj. Giovanni would win the match by pinfall. This was a uh, reestablishing match for him just to let everybody know what he's all about. He would beat Raj when he hits him with an elevated spinning powerbomb for the win. I just want to know what they're going to do with uh, Giovanni whenever the time comes because I can see him being the first guy to be called up to join a... got LA Knight's new group... I'm sorry, uh, Max Dupree a uh, new company of maximum male models on the SmackDown brand. I can see him being pulled up to SmackDown to join that group if he's not going to be an NXT for so long. Out of this, we had the tag match of Carmelo and Trick going against Two Dimes, the stack who had the D'Angelo family with Legato with them in their corner. Melo and Trick will win the match by pinfall thanks to a miscue from... Cruz of the D'Angelo Legato uh, family. Joaquin Wild would get on the ring apron to distract the referee, and during this, stacks, would hold Trick Williams so Cruz can hit a springboard crossbody on him, but Cruz would accidentally hit Stacks with it because Trick would move out of the way. Trick would then clothesline Cruz out of the ring, tag Mello in. Mello would then go to a top turnbuckle, hit a diving lay drop on the back of the head of Stacks, then cover him for the win, This will lead to Tony D'Angelo basically reprimanding the Legato family backstage and telling them that you guys work for me. There should be no more mistakes. He doesn't want any type of mistakes happening next week whenever he goes against Carmelo Hayes for the North American Championship. After this, we have our main event of the night. Six-woman tag. Toxic Attraction going against the team of Roxanne Perez, Cora Jade, and Indy Hartwell. Roxanne would win the match for her team when Indy would take out both Mandy and JC Jane. This would allow Roxanne to superkick Gigi in the stomach, then tag in Cora Jade, who she will go up to the top turnbuckle. Hit a senton on Gigi, and this would allow uh, Cora to tag in Roxanne to pin Gigi for the win. Whenever Cora jumped and hit the senton on Gigi, you heard like a pretty like loud yell out of Gigi, and it looked like it really hurt her. And even whenever you watch back the uh, move, and you watch back the ending part of the match, you're gonna see, like, that thing really hurt, and it wasn't just, like, a wrestling hurt, like, okay, I can breathe, and I can, f- like, uh no, like, that, she had a primal type yell, and I was even shocked to even see it on television, because I thought they would edit that part out, like, even, like, lower her, uh, yell down, but, no, they kept that right there, so, um, I don't know if she's recovering from that. I don't know if that was just like a bad like like a bad like landing that she took from Cora landing on her like too much on her chest or on her ribs or whatever the case may be. I don't know that yell was pretty pretty loud and it didn't look good but um, Roxanne and Cora uh, and Indy would be the winners and that would be your end of your uh, NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now on to AEW Dynamite, but before I get into the Dynamite results, um, a couple of notes here. The biggest note to really take away is that the main event of AEW Dynamite, their special Road Rager this week, was supposed to be a triple threat ladder match for the AEW tag titles of the Young Bucks, the Hardys, and Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy. It got turned into a singles tag ladder match of the Young Bucks, And Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy because the Hardys would have to be taken out of the equation because Monday night, Jeff Hardy would have uh, got himself arrested for a DUI. Um, This is coming from Deadline.com. It reports that Jeff Hardy was arrested on drunk driving charge on Monday night. He was also charged with driving on a suspended license and and violating a restriction which required him to have a DUI interlock device in his vehicle meaning i believe it's like one of those breathalyzers things like to blow your uh breath into it so to activate your car so you can drive um it said is reportedly hardy's third drunk driving arrest in the past 10 years and a third degree felony following that announcement tony khan would make the tweet out from the aew uh representative him being the owner of it he would tweet out we were able to Resume contact with Jeff Hardy this afternoon. AEW does not condone Jeff's alleged behavior. We've made it clear to him that we'll assist him in getting treatment for substance abuse issues, which he has indicated that he's open to receiving. In the interim, he is suspended without pay, and he only can return to AEW upon successful completing treatment and maintaining his sobriety. Now, I'm going to get on Jeff Hardy the same way I got on Jimmy Uso last year whenever he got popped for a uh, DUI. And what I mean by that is that last year people got at his wife because they were saying that Jimmy was being enabled by his wife, Naomi. And um, I got on everybody for that, for saying that, because Naomi does not represent her husband. Her husband is a grown man. He makes his own choices, and he did what he did that time last year. So I'm gonna get at Jeff Hardy the exact same way because people were trying to get at Matt Hardy and a e w for enabling Jeff Hardy's behavior. Jeff Hardy is a grown man. Jeff Hardy is a grown man that has been dealing with issues, whether it be um drugs, whether it be alcohol. He has been dealing with dr- he's been dealing with his own demons. He's been dealing with his own vices. He's been, dealing with these situations for years and years. Now, the role of a wrestler is you go out there, you do whatever you got to do, you put your body on the line, you do crazy extreme things, and you become banged up and you got to heal yourself up. Jeff Hardy came from the age where, where you basically took pills and you did alcohol and to just try to level the pain down so that you continue to another town and to another wrestling show, to another gig, and all this type of stuff think I'm lying, go and look back at Jeff Hardy's matches in the late 90s, more popularly 99, 2000, 2001, and so forth, where he did a whole lot of jumping off ladders, crashing through tables, taking a whole lot of chairs to the backs, and all this type of stuff. He was always the true extreme one out of his whole uh tag team with him and his brother. And that's the only thing I'll give Jeff, then I will give Jimmy. Because last year I didn't say nothing about that with Jimmy's situation because Jimmy Uso came up in the era where, yeah, sure, you still wrestle from town to town, but now the WWE has gotten much more attentive to whenever somebody's in pain and all this type of stuff. They'll give you some time, type of time off if you tell them and all this type of stuff where back in the day where Jeff Hardy was in WWE, no, you constantly went on because if you didn't, you will be afraid that your spot will get taken away from you. That's the only thing I'll give Jeff Hardy that I will not give Jimmy for last year's situation. Jeff Hardy still drove drunk, though. He still took the time to decide that, you know what, I'm drunk, I'm gonna drive. No, my guy, no. You have to want to do better for yourself. You can't allow... (laughs) You can't allow your demons to beat you and just corrupt you. Now... People might be saying, Gerald, it's a hard thing because once you become an alcoholic, it's a hard thing to let go of the bottle. Once you've uh, once you done a lot of narcotics, it's hard for you to let go of that because your body is so used to it and you start getting shakes and all this type of stuff and whatever the case may have you. I get it. I truly do. Because you know what? I'm sympathetic. I'm starting to become more empathetic and sympathetic for a lot of people's uh characteristics and their flaws in life. However, whenever you are in a position like Jeff Hardy, you are not only just after and looking after yourself, you now have to look after your brother as well, Matt, because you guys were in a position for you guys to basically win the tag titles. They had plans for you guys to win the tag titles. That was my basic knowledge of. You guys were going to win the tag titles this week, and they were planning up to set you guys up for um, what God knows have you, but you guys were going to win the AEW tag titles. At least that's my belief of the things. You... Happened to drive drunk, messed those plans up, and your brother wasn't on AEW this week. Now, do I know what they're going to do with Matt? I have no idea. They'll figure that out. But for you, Jeff, you have to go and actually clean yourself up. You got to. The wrestling fans, we need you to clean yourself up because we don't care if you come back to wrestling. Let's be honest with you. We want you to be safe. We want you to be healthy. We want you to live long because by God, we've seen what you've done for this business. We've seen what you put yourself through. And if anything, if you decide right now that you're going to hang up the boots, I guarantee you no wrestling fan will be like, oh my God, we're so sad. No, we'll be sad like, okay, he's retired, but we'll be happy that you are retiring, that you're able to get yourself together, that you're actually able to maintain and focus on you if that's what you decide to do. But what you need to do and this is a need, not a want. This is a need for you, Jeff. You need to go and get yourself literally fixed up. You need to sit down. You need to get these demons under control, get these vices under control. No long, no matter how long it takes, that's what needs to be done from you and for you. Because let me tell you this. I don't know how many times people can risk their necks out for you. AEW decided that they wanted to sign you, and yes, we were all happy that you got signed to AEW, we were happy, we were cool, but once you start getting into a situation like this, where now you have been popped with a DUI, now everybody in the AEW fan base, the AEW wrestlers, the backstage officials, the the higher-ups in AEW are not going to be looking at you a certain type of way to make sure that you're good. And I mean, like, is you sure he good? They're going to have to now talk to Matt to babysit you. And that's not cool for your brother Matt because Matt's a grown man, too. He don't got time to be growing up and babysitting you. And I know that for a fact because I'm a brother. I have to babysit my brothers from time to time over their situations. And it's not cool to always have to babysit your brothers. And I only can... Imagine how Matt's going to have to deal with this. But anyway, Jeff, you need to get yourself together. You need to sit down. You need to go to rehab. You need to get yourself together. You need to get in your mind, in your body, in your soul. You need to really have that man-to-man mirror conversation or that come-to-Jesus moment with yourself to figure out, okay, why am I drinking so much? Why am I doing these pills? Okay, if it's wrestling, okay, do I need to really take a step back and let my body heal up for a year or two and see how... It goes, because I mean, by God, if you step away from the ring for a year or two, everybody be cool, everybody be fine, and guess guess what, everybody will understand, but that's all on you, you gotta want this for yourself, seriously, you can't allow uh, your demons to beat you, man, because we all are rooting for you, the same way we all rooted for Jimmy Uso last year, we're all rooting for you this year, believe me, this is still your thing, you are a living legend in this industry, however... You do need to get yourself together, and this is all coming out of a place of love from a fan talking to a guy that he watched for literally almost his whole entire life. Matter of fact, his legit entire life. I've been watching you since the WWF, then going over to TNA, your first run, and then you come back to WWE, then you went back to TNA, and coming back, and you get the drift. I've been watching you your whole entire career. So this is literally coming from a fan to a wrestler. Please, get, please just get you some help. That's all I'm asking for you. And that's all anybody wants from you. Now, with that out of the way, let's get on with the AEW uh, results here. The first match of the night for their AEW uh, Road Rager event would be the hair-versus-hair match. Chris Jericho with his Jericho Appreciation Society with him around the ring, going against Ortiz, who had Eddie Kingston around the ring. William Regal was on commentary for this matchup, and Jericho would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Fuego Del Sol. When Jake Hager would get on the ring apron, Eddie Kingston will go around the ring, grab Jake by the leg, and take him down off the ring apron, and now the referee is distracted by these two fighting, he doesn't see Fuego Del Sol getting in the ring and hitting Ortiz in the head with Jericho's baseball bat. Jericho will then cover Ortiz, pin him for the win, and after the match, you will see Jericho, Hager, and Fuego standing next to each other side by side on the ring ramp. And you would then see Fuego start unmasking himself, exposing that it was Sammy Guevara under the mask all along. So Sammy is now back with the Jericho Appreciation Society as long, well, also with his squeeze, Ty Conti. Those two are now with Jericho and his group. Jericho, Hager, and Sammy would hug each other, and you would see Ortiz and Eddie just looking at those three, and you would see Ortiz now being a man of his word get some scissors, start cutting his hair, and then grab the razor from uh, Eddie Kingston and start buzzing his head, buzzing his head to uh, really start chopping his hair off and shaving it off. Eddie would get a mic and tell Chris that Ortiz is a man of his word, and as you can see, he's cutting his hair, and then you would hear Ortiz start yelling at Chris, blood and guts, constantly, constantly. So... Eddie Kingston now has Ortiz and John Moxley aligned with him to go against Jericho and whoever he has with him out of the Jericho Appreciation Society at Blood and Guts. We still got to find out who uh, Kingston's other members of his group will be. After this, we would get the matchup of Warlow going against 20 security guards in an elimination matchup. Now, originally, whenever the re- elimination matchup uh, started, You had Warlow in the middle of the ring. The guards literally on the ring apron surrounding the ring. And then some guards would get in the ring. You see Warlow clothesline them and like throw them out of the ring. And then you hear the ring announcer announce that security guards 20, 18, 16, and blah, blah, get eliminated. So I thought it was going to be an over the ring, uh, eliminate them out of the ring type deal. No, Warlow was able to do that or he was able to just pin them or submit them. And that's what Warlow did. Basically, this match was nothing but Warlow showing off his strength, destroying 20 security guards. And that's all it was. It was a chaotic uh, mess, but nevertheless, it was nothing but to showcase Warlow's strength. Warlow would eliminate all the guards, and then after the match, you would see Warlow leave the ring and grab Mark Sterling. Mark Sterling is the lawyer for the security guards. Warlow would throw Mark Sterling in the ring, and as it looks, Warlow is about to beat up Mark. You would hear the voice of Dan Lambert, and then you would see the camera pan up to the skybox where Dan Lambert and the TNT champion Scorpio Sky are. Dan would tell Warlow that when you mess with one member of American Top Team, now all the members of American Top Team have to mess with you. Dan would tell Warlow that he needs to watch his back because you don't know when someone is going to strike. The camera would show Tyrone Woodley and Matt Hughes, two UFC uh Fighters, well, one Hall of Famer Matthews and one current uh, UFC fighter Tyrone Willie in the front row of the arena. Well, front row. Dan tells them to go get Warlow, and then you would see them walk towards the ring, get on the ring apron, and get in the ring. Warlow would get a mic and ask them, Aren't they St. Louis boys? And he would talk about how St. Louis is nothing but work. Blue-collar working men and women. And that Dan Lambert is nothing but a rich a-hole. And I know you guys are probably tired of taking uh, taking orders from him. So, here's the deal. I'm willing to fight if that's what you guys want to do. But, and then Warlow puts the mic down. You would then hear Dan Lambert start yelling, go get him. Go get him. And then you see Mark get in the face of Tyron Woodley and yell at him. And this will piss off Tyron Woodley. Which would. Intel for Woodley to throw Mark Sterling into Warlow and Warlow will powerbomb him, so that means Tyrone Woodley and Matt Hughes have now aligned himself with Warlow. I'm gonna say this right now Tyrone Woodley, he looks like he can work because he was able to get on the ring apron, jump the top rope like a cruiserweight, and get in the ring. Matt Hughes, no, no, my man has been in war UFC for a long time, he got uh Hall of Fame induction and he's out of the game. But whenever you saw him like move, he moved like an old, old man. He should not have been in the segment. I don't know what people were thinking whenever they put cut, cooked this segment up. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Just I know this. Somebody should have vetoed Matt Hughes like doing that. That's all I'm saying. Tyrone Willie, good choice, because he was actually able to move around. But uh Matt Hughes, not so much. After this, we will have the matchup of Dax Hardwood going against Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay would win the match by pinfall when Will Ospreay would hit the Oss Cutter on Dax, and he thought he got the win off of this when he pinned him, but Dax would kick out at two. Then Will would hit the Hidden Blade, which is a running elbow to the back of the head on Dax, then cover him for the win. This is what the Will Ospreay I wanted to see that we didn't get to see on Rampage last week. Ospreay was able to actually move around, and actually get adjusted with Dax, and he actually had a good one-on-one matchup. Still, this is this was Will Ospreay lite, L-I-T-E, meaning that Will Ospreay didn't show you everything he could fully do. I'm pretty sure they're saving that for Forbidden Door. And speaking of, after the match, you would see the United Empire of Jeff Cobb, Great O'Con, and Ozzy Open come down to the ring. They will surround Dax, and as this happened, you see Cash Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero run down to the ring and they will start attacking the United Empire except for Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay was chilling in the corner as this was happening and he was just looking dumbfounded as all this was going down. Now, while all this was chaos was happening, Orange Cassidy's music would hit and he will start making his way down to the ring. This is the first time I believe we've seen Orange Cassidy since his uh, match with Adam Cole earlier in the year. If I'm wrong, I could be wrong. Shoot, that's the last time I remember him off the top of my head, but Orange Cassidy is back. He would get in the ring, and now you would just be Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy just staring at each other. And then you would see FTR, Trent Beretta, and Rocky Romero start walking up behind Orange Cassidy and standing right beside him, and then Will Ospreay would see all those men standing right in front of him, and Will would retreat and unite with his... United Empire Brethren's on the outside of the ring, and they would start walking up the ramp. And it was announced that next week on Dynamite, it will be Will Ospreay and Aussie Open going against Orange Cassidy and Rapungi Vice, oh, Trent Perretta, and Rocky Romero. And he also would announce that at Forbidden Door, it would be Will Ospreay defending the IWGP United States Championship against Orange Cassidy. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention. Uh, Will Ospreay beat Sonata for the IWGP. United States Championship at uh, New Japan's pay-per-view Dominion. Will Ospreay did not walk out with the championship because Juice Robinson has the belt. Juice Robinson was the champion, but he was supposed to defend that title against Will and Sonata at Dominion, but he had to uh, not show up to Japan because he has something to do with his appendix, meaning that he has to take his appendix out and he couldn't make it, so New Japan decided to strip him of the championship, but. They did not get the title from him. Juice Robinson still has that title. Now we get our face-to-face segment between John Moxley and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Also, Hiroshi Tanahashi would beat Hiroki Goto at Dominion. So now it would be Moxley Tanahashi for the interim AEW World Championship at Forbidden Door. Now it's time for the face-to-face conversation. Moxley and Tanahashi would get face-to-face moxley will let tanahashi know that he's been chasing him for a long time moxley lets it be known that ever since he went to new japan it was always tanahashi that he wanted for the past three years he's been chasing the dragon of tanahashi and now he finally gets his hands on him moxley will let it be known that there are a lot of belts championships but there's only one ace and that's you mox would also say that without a doubt right now Moxley is the best wrestler in the world right now and that he can't wait to beat Tanahashi at Forbidden Door. Moxley would hand the mic off to Tanahashi and before Tanahashi could say anything, Chris Jericho music would hit and out walks Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Ty Conti. Jericho will now play the role of player hater by telling Moxley that the only reason why Moxley's in this position right now is because Moxley didn't face Jericho last week because Jericho wasn't at AEW last week. Jericho would say hi to Tana and bring up that he beat him two years ago at Russell Kingdom. Tana would tell Jericho to shut up, and that would make Jericho call out the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society members to come out and attack Moxley and Tanahashi. But what Tana and Moxley doesn't know is that Lance Archer and El Desperado have entered the ring behind them, and they start attacking Moxley and Tanahashi. Then you get Jericho's group and Archer and Desperado attacking Moxley and Tanahashi, and then Jericho would announce that Archer and Desperado are on loan from their boss, Minoru Suzuki, because they are of the New Japan group, suzuki Goon, and that at Forbidden Door, it will be Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki going against Wheeler Yuta, Moxley's young boy, Shuda Umino, and Eddie Kingston. Then you will see Eddie Kingston, Santana Ortiz, Wheeler Yuta come running down to the ring to save Moxley and Tanahashi. You will see Moxley hit one of the members of 2.0 with a paradigm shift, and then you will see Tanahashi hit the other member with a sling blade. And at the end of the segment, you will see Moxley and Tanahashi, again, staring down each other. And you know what? I'm cool with how this segment went because, to be honest with you, Tanahashi can't say much in English. Because his language isn't English, it's Japanese. So, I don't know what people expected out of this. Jericho coming out playing player hater, I was cool with it, to be honest. And it also set up for his Forbidden Door matchup. And I'm cool with that. They needed more matches for Forbidden Door, so I'm cool with the way this segment was actually set up. And people are upset that Sammy Guevara is now back with Jericho. Let me tell you something. There was no reason why Sammy would not be back with Jericho, because right now they have nothing to force Sammy to do, and him just being a up with his mentor, the complete arrogant dickhead Chris Jericho, it works. It works like a glove, so I'm glad Jericho has uh, Sammy back in his uh, group. Now we will have our next match of the night, the All-Atlantic Championship matchup and qualifying match between um, Ethan Page, who had Dan Lambert in his corner, and Miro. Uh, Miro would win the match by submission when he locked in the game over, which is the camel clutch, on Ethan Page, and Page taps out. So, Miro and Pac have now advanced to Forbidden Door, and they're just waiting for two more people to win their matches so they will get their uh, opportunities opportunities Ben door in a fatal four way matchup for the all-Atlantic championship. After this, we will have Tony Storm going against Britt Baker. Tony Storm would win the match by Pinfall when Tony would hit the strong zero, which is a Pile driver, on Britt Baker for the win. And after the match you would see Thunder Rosa. She was come out and stand on the entrance stage and point at Tony Storm to indicate that she's next in line. And Tony and Thunder Rosa a matchup would be announced that at Forbidden Door, it would be those two going for the AEW Women's Championship. After this, we will have Heyman Page coming out for an in-ring promo. Heyman Page will come out. You would recall what he said last week in calling out Okada for the IWDP Championship. And Heyman will call himself a dumb butt, not calculating that Okada could lose the championship to Jay White, which Okada did lose the championship to Jay White, so Jay White is your new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Hangman would say that the challenge still stands. He wants to face uh, Jay now for the IWGP World Championship. And now you would see and here Adam Cole come out. And uh, he would play spoiler and also play a hater to Hangman the same way that he did last week. Cole will call Hangman a stupid cowboy. And then he would go on to uh, berate cowboy. I don't know why I have to keep repeating myself, but Paige, you will not challenge for that championship at Forbidden Door. And if anyone's gonna challenge for it, it's gonna be me. Because Forbidden Door is not about AEW hell. It's not even about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Forbidden Door is about the undisputed elite. It's about the Bullet Club, and the best way to showcase that event for that championship is Adam Cole Bebe versus Jay White. So, Adam Cole has made his intentions known pretty clear. He wants to go after the IWGP World Championship. And now, with him mentioning Jay White's name, he would tell Hangman that uh, there is somebody here that wants to say hello, and then you will hear Jay White's music hit, and now we're anticipating the IWGP World Champion. What Hangman doesn't know is that Jay White will pop up behind Hangman, and he will turn Hangman around, hit him with the Blade Runner, or people know better as the sister Abigail, and drop Hangman. Jay White would then get a mic, and uh, he would have this to say. So hangman, what makes you think that you called the shots? Because you couldn't beat CM Punk? You lost your AEW World Championship. Oh, and hey, buddy, uh, our singles record, 2-0 to the Switchblade. It's not going to be against you, buddy. But uh, Adam... It's not going to be against you either. Now, with Jay White making up his mind and Adam Cole looking completely stunned, Adam Cole thought of him and Jay had a unity and a brotherhood that, hey, me and you will fight each other for the World Championship at Forbidden Door is the best thing. Uh, With Jay White shutting that down in Adam Cole's face, we will have to see where this leads us into the Forbidden Door event. My guess, I think we're going to get a triple threat, Adam Cole, Jay White, Hangman Page. But we'll have to see as uh, time will go on. Now it's time for the main event. The latter match for the AEW Tag Titles. The Young Bucks going against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. Let me say this right now. This match was a complete uh, destruction derby. It was nothing but these two teams just putting their bodies on the line. You had them, all of them going through tables. Uh, a whole lot of crazy like spots they will be doing. I mean... There was one spot towards the end of the match. Literally, Jungle Boy was down and Luchasaurus was on the ladder. And then you see the Young Bucks push Luchasaurus off the ladder, out of the ring, through three tables. I mean, that move was completely, like... It was insane. I really, really recommend you guys watching this uh, ladder match. It is completely... Um, awesome if you are a wrestling fan trust me you will uh, enjoy it but in the end the Young Bucks would win the match when they would go up to up the ladder grab the tag titles hanging above them and unlatch the titles and uh, the Young Bucks are your new AEW uh, World Tag Team Champions after the match Christian would come down to the ring and uh, he would check on Luchasaurus who's still in that smolders of the tables that were broken that he went through and Christian would get in the ring to check on jungle boy who took a BTE trigger to the mouth by the young bucks. And you would see Christian and one guy for the medical personnel team help jungle boy up to his feet and try to help him out of the ring. As soon as Christian and the personnel would be right next to the ropes. And as jungle boy has one foot out of the ring, you see Christian quickly grab jungle boy and hit the kill switch or better known as the Unprettier, if you know that move uh, by that name. And you would see the whole crowd start cheering because we all had a feeling Christian was going to turn on uh, Lucha Boy, well, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. We just didn't know when, so tonight was the opportune time. Christian would then go out of the outside of the ring, go underneath the ring, grab two chairs, and then he would throw them into the ring. And you know what time it is. Christian would hit Jungle Boy with a concerto and that's how aew will end with christian standing over the lifeless body of jungle boy and that is your aew dynamite highlights of the week now off to impact wrestling impact wrestling will open up with a tag team matchup of tasha steels and savannah evans going against the team of jordan grace and mia yim tasha steels and savannah evans would win the match by pinfall when mia yim was holding tasha Steele. so jordan grace could hit tasha with a spinning clothesline But Tasha would duck, Jordan Grace would hit Mia, and Jordan would then look at Mia to see if she was okay. This would allow Tasha Steeles to roll up Jordan Grace and hold her tights as the referee counted for the three. That's how Tasha and Savannah would win. This gives Tasha momentum going into the Queen of the Mountain uh, matchup at Slammiversary this Sunday. After this, we will have Trey Miguel going against speedball Mike Bailey. Trey Miguel would win the match by pinfall when Trey was in the corner and Mike Bailey would go for a spinning kick. But Trey would catch the kick, roll up uh, Mike Bailey in an inside cradle for the win. Um, great match between these two. Again, these two bring something new to the exhibition style. Of course, Trey Miguel got the speed and the um, high flying ability speedball has the kicks he's more of a striker and more of a high-flying guy himself but when you get him in the ring you see that he strikes and he likes to use his feet a lot and he's basically riddle but with kick pads he wrestles with bare feet but he has kick pads on um good match between both of these guys after this we will have alicia edwards with giselle shaw in her corner going against masha slimovich if you know and you've been listening to me for weeks as I've been talking about Masha, every time she's on Impact, you know exactly what time it is. Masha would beat uh, Alicia real quick, real easily by pinfall when Masha would hit the Snow Plow, which is a Northern Lights uh, bomb on Alicia for the win. After the match, Masha would be celebrating in the ring, and then Giselle would get in the ring to check on Alicia to make sure she's okay. Uh, Masha would look at Giselle, and those two would lock eyes with each other, so that at least tells me that Masha and Giselle are somewhere down the line or Giselle is the next victim on Masha's uh, hit list. Again, Masha is basically Impact Wrestling's uh, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe that came in in 2005. They're doing the exact same thing with Masha Slamovich. They're giving her this undefeated streak and more or less when she decides to challenge for the knockouts championship, they're more or less going to give it to her. Uh, After this, we'll have a great tag team matchup of Jay White and Chris Bay. With the Good Brothers in their corner as well as Hickaleo going against the Briscoes. The Briscoes would win the match by pinfall when Mark would roll up Chris Bay for the win. Again, great match. This match is good off the count that the Briscoes are a good tag team. They've been teaming up literally for about a good two decades. And Jay White and Chris Bay, they're gelling a lot more uh, because they get the time to do it because they're always teaming up together. Every time you see Jay White on uh impact wrestling television is never ever a singles competition it's always him and chris bay or him in a six-man tag matchup but he's still teaming up with chris bay so that tells me that jay white has some uh kind of sway with chris bay and they are literally trying to build something with chris bay hopefully going to new japan that's what i want hopefully for chris bay but we will have to see but again great tag matchup from both of these two teams here after this, we will have uh Honor More's Vincent and Kenny King with Eddie Edwards in his their corner going against a returning Aces and Eights, uh, Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe, who had D'Lo Brown in their corner. For people that don't know, Aces and Eights were T TNA's, TNA's uh version of uh The Sons of Anarchy, the show that was on, on FX in the early 2010s era. Um that's basically wrestling's version of them and tna had a good storyline with them for a minute and for what about a good solid almost a year before it came to find out that uh bully ray or formerly known as Bubba ray of uh the dougley boys was the leader of them um if you want to go back and watch tna history you'll see aces and eights but it was a nice uh return and a nice little uh shocking good thing to see aces and eights here but um Vincent and Kenny King would win the match by pitfall. When West was running off the ropes and Eddie Edwards would grab uh, West by the foot, get, uh, West would look at Eddie and this would allow Vincent to hit West with a Dudley death drop. Uh, that's a move that Spike Dudley used to use and then pin West for the victory. After the match, D'Lo Brown would get in the ring and talk with the referee and ask him did he not see Eddie Edwards grab uh, West's foot? and unbeknownst to D'Lo, Vincent, Kenny King, and Eddie Edwards would be in the ring, and they surround D'Lo. Once D'Lo recognized that he was uh being surrounded, he just start teeing off on them, and he was able to hold his own. He was actually able to eliminate Vincent and Eddie Edwards out of the ring, and he was down to him and Kenny King, and it got to the point that he was able to hit Kenny King with the Sky High, which is basically a high-elevated spine buster. D'Lo Brown would then go to the top rope, well, top turnbuckle, and he will look to hit the Frog Splash, but Matt Taven and Mike Bennett would run down to the ring to stop D'Lo Brown. Now that Honor No More is in the ring, they're beating up on D'Lo Brown, and they're holding D'Lo Brown down so Eddie Edwards can kick him, but before Eddie could do that, you will see Motor City Machine Guns and Frankie Kazarian run down to the ring to make the save. They would eliminate Honor No More out of the ring, and standing tall would be Motor City Machine Guns, Kazarian, and Aces and 8s. And it was announced on the Impact broadcast that former Impact World Champion Nick Aldis, or as he's better known in Impact as Magnus, he will be at Slammiversary and he will be teaming with the Motor City Machine Guns and Frankie Kazarian as they go against Honor No More. Now, Motor City Machine Guns and Frankie have to find one more uh, wrestler to make up their team of five to go against the five members of Honor No More at Slammiversary this Sunday. Now it's time for the main event. Impact is the contract signing between Eric Young and the champion Josh Alexander. Eric Young and Josh will be in the ring. Scott Demore will be in the ring. And Scott Demore has a uh, ties between both of these men. He helped both of these men start out in their wrestling career, and he talks about being a mentor and a friend to them and calling them family. So he has a special uh, interest in this matchup. Eric will talk about not caring about the 20th anniversary of Impact and he doesn't care about Slammiversary. All he cares about is being champion from here on out and he plans on doing that at Slammiversary. Josh will retort to Eric saying that just like the rest of the audience, he loves Impact Wrestling. He talks about how eight years ago when he was laid up, recovering from neck surgery, Impact Wrestling was the place he thought about being at and now that he's here he wants to mention that Impact was the place that took a chance on him in that anniversary He would defend its honor and retain the championship. That's what he's hoping to do. Josh would end up signing the contract. Eric Young would end up signing the contract. Eric would tell Josh that he used to be in the exact same seat that Josh Alexander's in, saying the exact same things that Josh is saying, but Eric was lying. Josh would tell Eric that whenever he started his wrestling career in 2005, he would always hear about a guy Named Eric Young being the best in Canada, and Josh talked about how he knew who Eric was because just like everybody, he would watch Impact. And that time, the Eric Young that was around that time was Showtime Eric Young. And Josh would talk about how if that Eric Young from then could see what he will become now, he would be disgusted in himself. This would lead to the final blow off with eric and josh you see them turn over the table and you know what's about to go down chaos every time a contract signing happens you always gotta have chaos um josh and eric Young would get face to face eric would push josh and scott demore would try to get in between the two before anything else stuff anything else tried to uh ensue but deaner of violence by design would put his hands on scott demore scott demore will punch deaner and now you got Diener and Josh Alexander like trading shots with each other. Eric Young would break the violence by design flagpole over Scott Demore's back, laying him out. And now is a three on one assault of violence by, by design uh, beating up on Josh Alexander. Violence by design would then tear the ring apart, loosening up the top rope and exposing the wood under the mat. Eric Young would get the corner uh, hook and start digging in the forehead of Josh Alexander and start making them bleed and to finish it off you would see eric young pile drive josh alexander on the wood and josh would be laying there as violence by design is standing tall ending impact with violence by design standing tall over the impact champion uh josh alexander and that's what is foreshadowed going into uh slam anniversary this sunday eric young hopes to beat josh alexander at slam anniversary but we will have to see i will give you my impact wrestling uh anniversary predictions at the end of the show, but that is your Impact Wrestling wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's off to SmackDown, but before I get into the results, uh, they would announce on SmackDown that next week, there will be two Money to the Bank qualifying matches, Sami Zayn going against Shinsuke Nakamura, as well as Aliyah going against Shotzi, as well as there will be an intercontinental title matchup of Gunther going against Ricochet, so this is Ricochet's uh, championship rematch. Uh now on to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Vince McMahon coming down to the show to open up SmackDown and he would mention that you guys just saw the opening title of the uh their logo, their signature, the now, then, now, forever, and WWE truly is and will forever will be, then, now and forever. People thought Vince was gonna come out here and say something big and profound because um it came out Wednesday or Thursday that Vince McMahon was being investigated by his own people in the WWE board of him basically paying off a former employee $3 million uh, to keep quiet because uh, I believe in the report, they said that Vince McMahon sexually assaulted her or he had an affair with her. Either way, the woman got paid $3 million hush money. So the board ends up finding that out. And now um, Vince McMahon is now taking a step down so right now on WWE Stephanie McMahon is now the interim chairman and CEO so Stephanie for right now is taking over the position of CEO and chairman while Vince McMahon handles his uh, legal affairs with this situation so more on that will be coming up in the following weeks this is the first week that it first came out and people thought Vince was going to say something on live television I don't know what you guys thought but that was never going to happen okay After this, we'll get Riddle to come down to the ring, and Riddle will have his in-ring promo. Riddle was out here to talk about his upcoming match with Roman later in the night for the Undisputed uh, Universal Championship. Riddle will play footage of when Roman helped the Usos become the unified tag team champions, showing off when Roman and Riddle start having a problem with each other. Riddle would then go on to mention that tonight when he faces Roman, he is dedicating that match to his partner, Randy Orton, who is sidelined with back injuries right now. Riddle mentions that he, just like the rest of the audience, hopes that Randy will be back soon, but in the meantime, Randy is loved, and Riddle lets Randy know that. Randy's music would hit, and Riddle would say, this is the music I hope that we will all be hearing sooner rather than later, and that's whenever they will play Randy Orton's uh, voice's music. So Riddle tonight has a heavy burden because one, he's facing Roman Reigns for the Undisputed uh, Universal Championship, and two, he's dedicating it to his Partner, And we will see how that all ended up from later in the night. After this promo, we would get a last laugh match between Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss. It's basically a one-on-one normal style matchup because Madcap would win by pitfall. There was no type of stipulation. There was nothing to this. I don't understand why it was called last laugh. Um, Moss would win the match by hitting his neck breaker, which he calls the punchline, twice on Corbin, then covering him for the win. After the match, Moss would then get a microphone and start laughing at Corbin laying in the ring. And that's it. That was all the last laugh match was. It was nothing but a regular matchup. It was no, it didn't say anything about his qualifications. It was just a regular, normal match. It was pretty useless to me, in my personal opinion. But it did carry on to something later. Uh, After this, we would get a Street Profits backstage promo. Street Profits were basically here to talk about how they are going to be challenging the Usos at Money in the Bank for the Undisputed Tag Titles and how they'll be watching tonight as Riddle takes on Roman for the Unified Championship in hopes that Riddle takes it away from Roman. Now, once we come back to the commentary table, you see Pat McAfee and Michael Cole about to talk about what's coming on later in the night. You would hear Corbin get a microphone and he goes over to the commentary table and starts yelling at Pat McAfee. He mentions how Pat has always been crapping on him and it started whenever Corbin was broke and start coining the phrase, bum-ass Corbin, to now questioning why Corbin now has pyro. Corbin would tell Pat that he needs to watch his mouth before he takes Pat into the ring and make Pat wish he was dead. Corbin would put the mic down and start walking away, but Pat being Pat McAfee, he would get the mic and Pat would call Corbin, bum-ass Corbin. Pat would then say that he thought that when he heard of a last laugh match, it would end with Corbin being laughed out of the arena and Pat would start doing crowd work to this uh, St. Louis crowd and him and the crowd would start laughing at Corbin and you will see Corbin start walking up the ramp. He's still getting laughed at by the audience. And then you see the New Day come out and they will start laughing at Corbin as they're making their way down to the ring because they have a matchup next. And it will be the New Day of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods going against Jinder Mahal and Shanky. Side note Biggie did put out a video on Twitter and him of him throwing away his neck brace. So Biggie is moving in the right directions. Congratulations, Biggie. I hope you still move forward and get well soon, big man. Um, New Day versus Jinder Mahal and Shanky. Kofi would win the match for New Day by pinfall. When Shanky had the match in his hands, he dominated Kofi for that time that he was in. Xavier would then start playing the trombone, better known as Francesca. And you see Shanky start dancing in the ring. Jinder would have a look of disgust and start tagging himself in. Once Jinder got in the ring, Kofi would hit him with the Trouble in Paradise, which is a... uh. Spinning, rotating kick to the face and cover gender for the win. After this, it's time for Adam Pearce to come down to the ring and he has Drew McIntyre and Sheamus in there. And this is supposed to be him deciding whether Sheamus or Drew will be in the Money in the Bank match. Adam tells both Drew and Sheamus that they both want to be in the Money in the Bank matchup, but they both failed to qualify last week. Um, Drew tells Adam that if he isn't in the match, there's a 100% chance of somebody getting beat up tonight. Sheamus will laugh at that and say that Drew has a big ego. Sheamus would say that putting Drew in the Money in the Bank matchup will be a complete waste, unlike him who's won the Money in the Bank contract before and has cashed in on somebody and won the match instead of being cashed on and lost their title. Adam will let Seamus know that he is in the Money in the Bank matchup. Sheamus would gloat and mock Drew in his face and Drew would be so angry that he starts pounding on Sheamus. To the point that Drew will line Sheamus out of the ring and Adam will have to let Drew know that I was going to let you know that you're in the Money in the Bank matchup too. So now we have Sheamus, Drew, and Seth Rollins in the men's Money in the Bank match. Drew would smile and then you see Sheamus get up off the floor and he's being upset and Sheamus will slide back in the ring thinking he's going to do something to Drew. But Drew would kick him in the face with the Claymore and that's all that needs to be said. After this, we will have the Women's Money in the Bank qualifying matchup. Raquel Rodriguez going against Shayna Baszler. Raquel would win the match by pinfall, and Raquel would hit the Tejano Bomb, or formerly known as the Chicona Bomb, on Shayna, cover for the win. That's it. So now Raquel is now in the Women's Money in the Bank matchup, along with Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, and uh, Lacey Evans. Then you get your main event on SmackDown, the undisputed Universal Championship matchup. Riddle versus Roman Reigns. Who had Paul Heyman in his corner. Good match between the two. This shows you that Riddle is truly ready for the main event spot. Whenever they actually want to put him in that spot. Um, Roman however would win the match by pinfall. And he does it clean by the way. When Roman was going for the spear. But Riddle would catch Roman. And hit him with an RKO. Now everybody thought that would end the matchup. As Riddle was pinning Roman. And you hear the audience all counting along. What Roman would kick out at two. Now you see Riddle. Trying to think of something. He then runs off the ropes, and he's looking to hit a springboard move, but Roman will happen to get him and hit him with a spear. And once he does this, he pins Riddle for the win. So Roman is still your undisputed champion. The Usos and Paul Heyman would come down to the ring and celebrate with Roman in the ring. Roman would get a mic from Paul Heyman. Roman would say that there's no one left for him to challenge, and Roman mentions that he told everybody two years ago that he would wreck everybody, then leave. So that's what he's about to do. But before he does that, Roman wanted the audience to acknowledge him. So you see Roman and the Usos stand in the whole ambiance. And you see Roman and the Usos about to leave the ring. But then... You heard it right. That's Brock Lesnar's music. Brock Lesnar would walk out onto the ramp and Roman looks pissed. He looks completely upset but then he has to cool himself down now you see him telling the usos to get out of the ring so him and brock can have the ring brock will get in the ring roman and brock will steer down with each other roman would see brock extend his hand out to him and roman is looking at brock and brock is constantly tapping his chest and saying this is from the this from my heart and he extends his hand out again you see roman be hesitant But eventually he would extend his hand out to Brock and shake. But as soon as he does that, Brock quickly pulls him in, put him on his shoulder, and hits him with an F5. And then you would see the Usos get in there, but they would get wrecked as well. Brock would clothesline them both, and then he would get both of them with an F5. Not at the same time, but separately. And that's how SmackDown went in. But basically Brock standing over the whole bloodline, and it was announced um, on Twitter that... At SummerSlam, it will be Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns in a last-man-standing match for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. And that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, on to AEW Rampage. Before anything, on the program, it was announced as they were running down the Forbidden Door card, there's a new match added on. And they will say that at Forbidden Door, it will be a winner-takes-all Ring of Honor, and IWGP Tag Team Title Triple Threat Match, which consists of the United Empires, Jeff Cobb, and Great O'Khan, going against FTR, going against Rapungi Vice. So that's that match that's now added on to Forbidden Door. Now onto Rampage Results. First match that we will have is Jon Moxley going against Dante Martin. Jon Moxley would win the match by submission when Moxley would lock in a hammer lock hold on Dante, and Dante would tap out. The story of this is that Dante has faced Moxley about two or three times before, and every time he's coming closer and closer to beating Moxley, and we didn't know if this was going to be the case tonight, which I knew it wasn't because we're building up Moxley to face Tanahashi at Forbidden Door. But Dante still showed a good showing with Moxley, so again, they're still putting eggs in the Dante Martin uh, basket. After this, we will have Max Caster in the gun club going against Bear Country and Leon Ruff. Max Caster and Gun Club will win in quick fashion when Austin Gunn will hit Leon with a quick draw, which is a floating DDT. Well, not DDT, a floating neckbreaker. And then Austin Gunn would tag, him, tag in Max Caster and Max will hit the mic drop, which is a diving elbow drop from the top rope on Leon Ruff. They cover him for the win. So again, Max Caster and Gun Club won the match real quick fashion. After this, we have the TBS Championship matchup of Willow Nightingale going against the champion, Jade Cargill, who has Stokely Hathaway and Kiara Hogan in her corner. Jade would win the match by pinfall when Jade would hit the pedigree, then follow it up by hitting Jade on Willow for the win. A solid match between Willow and Jade Cargill. The fans love Willow. Personally, I love Willow, too. She seems like she'll bring something like more bubbly to the AEW women's roster, so if she gets signed, I'm not mad at that. Um, after the match, Kiera would get in the ring and start kicking Willow while she's down, and then Athena's music would hit, and you see Jade and Kiera look at the stage waiting to see where Athena's gonna come down, but Athena would be on the top turnbuckle waiting for Kiera to turn around, and once Kiera does, you would see Athena hit Kiera with the O-Face, which is a diving stunner, and that would take out Kiera. Jade Carga would then turn around, see Athena hit her with a pump kick, or better known as a bro kick, to the face then Jade would grab Athena looking to hit her with Jade But Chris Statlander would run down to the ring and scare away Jade. And as Chris Statlander would run to the ring, she hits. Matter of fact, no, not hit. No. She slaps Stokely Hathaway behind the head like a a kid would do another kid. I've experienced that a lot when I was a young kid. Kids smacking me behind the head, especially with the first bald cut. Oh, yeah. So that brought back memories when I saw that and I got a nice chuckle. Um, after this, it would be time for the main event, Darby Allen going against Bobby Fish with Kyle Rowley. Well, Kyle Rowley wasn't out, but Kyle Rowley will be coming out later after the match. Um, Darby would win the match by pinfall when Bobby had Darby in the heel hook and Darby would reverse the move and pin Bobby with the last supper and, After the match, you would see Bobby Fish attack Darby and start waving down for Kyle O'Reilly to come down. The story of this matchup was that Darby Allen was going to take out Bobby Fish because Kyle O'Reilly took out Sting, and Darby wanted to take out somebody that was close to Kyle the same way that Kyle took out somebody that was close to Darby. So now you got Kyle O'Reilly coming down, walking down to the ring with a steel chair, and he's taking his slow, nice time with it, and then the lights will go off. Once the lights pop back on, Sting would appear right in front of Kyle O'Reilly and then hit Kyle in the nuts with his baseball bat. Sting would take the bat, well, the chair away from Kyle O'Reilly, hand it over to Darby. Darby would hit Bobby Fish with the chair and then put Bobby's foot inside the chair. Darby would then go up to the top turnbuckle, jump off, hit the coffin drop on Bobby's leg that is now in the chair. And that's all that needs to be said. So Bobby Fish is probably going to be out for a good couple of weeks. Kyle Riley is going to be pissed off. We're going to see Kyle versus Darby somewhere, probably on Rampage or two weeks from now on Dynamite. And that is your AEW Rampage uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I'll let me give you guys my predictions for the um, Impact Wrestling uh event that will be happening tomorrow night on Sunday. Um. The first match is the tag team title matchup of the knockouts, tag team titles, uh the influence going against Rosemary and Ty Valkyrie. I see mm, the influence winning because Havoc isn't around, and I don't think is gonna like Taya trying to take her spot as she's teaming with Rosemary. That's just my thought. I could be wrong, and personally, I'll be happy being wrong on this one. Monster Ball match. Sammy Callahan going against Moose. Sammy's going to win. This is his first time. uh, Sammy's uh, back wrestling in Impact Wrestling. And this is a monster's ball. Sammy's kind of forte. He's kind of a destructive type of guy. Hardcore style. I see Sammy winning this. And I see them pulling every trick out of the book. Uh, Chairs, tables, thumbtacks, whatever you name it. I see that happening between these two. 10-man tag matchup. The Impact Originals of Alex Shelley, Chris Sabin. Uh, Kazarian, Nick Oldus, and a mystery opponent. Well, a mystery partner going against Honor No uh Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, PCO, and Vincent. Honor No More. I'm going with them because Honor No More, whenever it comes to these multi big 10 man tag matches, they have not lost, not a won yet. I see them winning this. Also, I see Alex Shelley kind of turning on the Impact Originals. That's just my thoughts because I've been looking at Alex Shelley and the way his eyes have been moving. I see Alex Shelley making the turn. Uh, Impact World Tag Team title matchup. The Briscoes going against the um, Good Brothers. Briscoes. Briscoes are winning this. Um, The Briscoes haven't been in Impact for too long. And the Good Brothers already have held the tag titles. And they're kind of messing around with New Japan here. And they might show up on... uh, AEW, I don't think that they're going to be having the Impact Tag title going to AEW. I could be wrong. And personally, if I am wrong on this one, again, I'll be still happy with this. I'm happy with both teams either winning. But for me, I think the Briscoes are winning this and retaining their tag titles. Quinn in the Mountain matchup for the Impact uh, Knockouts World Championship. Tasha Steeles, Chelsea Green, Deanna Perazzo, Jordan Grace, Mia Yim. I'm going to go with, uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with Tasha Steeles. I'm happy with Charles Tasha Steeles right now. I don't think she's hit her full potential as being knockout's champion yet. I would like for her to retain the title, so that's what I'm going with. Ultimate X for the Impact uh X Division Championship. Ace Austin, Kenny King, Mike Bailey, Trey Miguel, Jack Evans, Alex Zane. Uh my gut is telling me I want to say Kenny King, because he's part of Honor No More and Honor No More needs some type of gold around their waist a representative to hold gold. Um, so I want to go with Kenny King. However, with the way that impact kind of books and then kind of storytelling a little bit, I can see them doing Ace Austin, bringing Alex Zane in, and then Alex Zane and Ace Austin having their feud and impact. So I want to go with Kenny King, but I have to go with Ace Austin. And plus Ace Austin just joined Bullet Club too, so they need some more uh, fume and uh, credibility with them Making the choice of Ace Austin. Now the Impact uh World Championship matchup, the main event, Josh Alexander going against Eric Young. Uh Josh Alexander. Eric Young, nah, he's gonna do good. I think these two are gonna have a good bloody matchup between each other, but I think Josh Alexander is going to win. He's going to retain Impact Championship. And plus he's title reign just technically just began. He just beat Moose at Rebellion. That was what? In April? So he only held the belt for two months. I don't see him losing that championship uh, anytime soon yet, or at least until we find another credible uh, opponent. Also, there was news about Sasha Banks being released. There has not been anything significant. There has not been no word on WWE's side or Sasha Banks' side. There's just been a report out there saying that Sasha Banks has been released. I'm going to wait until WWE say anything, or at least Sasha Banks say that, yeah, I've been released or something like that. The same thing like with the... Uh, troy donovan two dimes from nxt when he said hey, yeah this is just a bump in the road so i'm gonna wait until that situation so right now i'm not gonna give my full opinion on that but i just want to keep you guys in the loop on that now with that i hope you guys have a great saturday please be safe there's danger on the roads as usual and as always um just please if you are going to do anything just please try to be nice to each other i know is uh, hard out here for certain individuals to be nice because people are dickheads but just always remember you don't know what somebody's dealing with so at least try to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and just be nice on this Saturday and with that I hope you guys have a great Saturday this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by G2 he is I and I am him this is a goodbye until you here from the sweet sounding voice again I love you all I hope you guys check out my Sunday episode tomorrow if you do that would be great and if not you'll hear from me again next Saturday with Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, Uh Jesus wept.